Uh, we've had a couple of weeks away from our most recent series, and if you remember, uh, I started it on Palm Sunday, and I think I referred to the fact that I wanted to spend five or six weeks talking about Christ on the cross, and why did Jesus have to die, and what was Jesus accomplishing on the cross, and we've had a couple of weeks away from that, so I just want to take a couple minutes and, and bring some of that series back to your minds, and for some of you here who weren't here, to provide some context for today. And we began on Palm Sunday, and on Palm Sunday, our main text, and, and for the three weeks around Easter, our main text was John 12, 27 to 34. And you'll remember that after the triumphal entry, after Jesus had come into the city and everybody was laying down the cloaks and the palm branches, and they were shouting Hosanna, and they were shouting Hallelujah, and then we looked in those verses, and Jesus is standing there in the temple, and it says His soul was troubled. And there's this fear that falls upon the soul of Jesus as he contemplates what is soon to come. And so, as he's contemplating that, he begins this sort of public prayer. And he says, Father, what shall I do? Shall I ask that my Father save me from this hour? But Jesus, at that moment, he steals his resolve and he rejects any form of disobedience. And he says, for this very purpose have I come to die. And he says, Excuse me, Father, glorify your name. And God did glorify it. And the Father in heaven answered. He says, I did glorify it, and I will glorify it again. And so we looked at the purpose of Jesus on the cross was to glorify the Father. And then on Easter, we looked at the ways that God then glorified His name through Jesus, which are in that text. And from that text, it says that God was glorified in His justice, that the judgment of the world was accomplished in judging sin. And God was also glorified in His perfect love in that the judgment was borne by His Son, Jesus. And so God was glorified for both His perfect justice and for His perfect love at the same time. And God was also glorified in His faithfulness that in the resurrection of Jesus, He proves that all His promises are coming true and that we are saved through the death and resurrection. And so God was glorified in those three specific ways. And then, to start off Mission Week, still looking at the cross and what Jesus accomplished, we looked at another purpose of Jesus dying on the cross from that text when Jesus said that the Son of Man will be lifted up and He will draw all people to Himself. So Jesus being lifted up on the cross was accomplishing a purpose of drawing all nations to Himself, that all people could come to God through Jesus by His being lifted up excuse me, on the cross. And the good news of the cross itself that Jesus gave us the Gospel. So we looked at how does that drawing happen? And at the beginning of Missions Week, we looked at the human agency in that drawing. And we looked at the Gospel of Luke when, when Jesus goes to draw the disciples and turn them into fishers of men. And He goes to, to Simon, uh, Peter, and to uh, John. And He says, cast out your nets. And then they cast out the nets even though they'd been fishing all night and they hadn't caught anything. And then, oh, they pull the nets in and they're filled with fish and the boats are sinking and the nets are breaking. And through that text in Luke, we realize the human agency in the drawing of all people to Himself. That God, through Jesus, through the Gospel of Christ on the cross, uses us, His disciples and His people, to tell the news of the Gospel to draw people in. He could cause the fish just to jump into the boat. I mean, if God wanted to do the drawing that way, He could just you know, pull us into heaven right like that, immediately. Come to us in a vision, come to us in person, come to us like a revelation as He did in, to, to Paul on the road to Damascus. He could do it that way, but what we learned is that Jesus, in drawing people to Himself, is using human agents. It's us. That we cast the nets, which are the Gospel. And then 
through casting the nets, through our proclamation of the Gospel of Christ on the cross then, Jesus accomplishes the drawing of people to Himself. And all down through history, from those 12 disciples all the way down to us, we were all drawn into the Kingdom of God by people proclaiming the Gospel. And so, just to get us back into context now, part of this goal of this series is simply to get a grasp of the centrality of the cross and how much was accomplished on the cross. And that as Christians, we never really leave Easter. We never really leave the cross. You can, and I strongly encourage you to, study all the things that Jesus did on the cross. You can study what Jesus did on the cross your whole life, and you will never get to the end of it. And so today, we sort of pick up now, after Missions Week and after Mother's Day, we pick up the fourth series on this series, on fourth sermon on this series of Easter, in examining those accomplishments and what Jesus did to glorify the Father's name. To judge the world, yes. To cast out Satan, yes. To demonstrate the love of God, yes. To fulfill the promises of God, yes. To become the gospel for us, yes. To draw all people to himself through that gospel, yes. Jesus did all of those things on the cross, but we keep going further out from the cross. What else did Jesus do? Jesus died to set us apart. A unique, a peculiar, a special people. How are we special? A people that are holy and zealous for good works. His blood was shed not just to draw a people to Himself, but also to transform that people into something new. The people that He draws and the, the, the kingdom that He's created of people is not a people of mundane, boring, apathetic people for Himself. That's not why Jesus died on the cross. He didn't you know, die so, to gather a bunch of slackers into His kingdom. He died to transform the people that He draws into people who are zealous for good works who are vibrant, who are powerful, who are passionate, who are life-changing people. And those people are supposed to be us. That's what we're talking about today. We're, we're supposed to be those people that are zealous for good works. Let's pray. Father God, as we look into Your Word now, I just pray that You would reveal through Your Scripture who we are supposed to be, what You have accomplished for us on the cross, why that matters and what it's doing in our lives and in the world today. Father, hear our prayers. Open our eyes. Open our hearts to Your Holy Spirit and to Your Word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I get this from, of all the things that I could look at, and I don't know whether it's just spring and the long winter we had and we're just sort of coming out of hibernation, but I mean, I sort of felt this sermon myself kind of deep in my heart the last couple of weeks while I was looking at it. Because of all the things that you could pick of to talk about what Jesus accomplished on the cross, there's like a hundred things I could pick from. And this one struck me very hard because, again, maybe I'm just waking up from winter hibernation, but I've been wondering whether I'm as zealous as I'm supposed to be and as passionate for the things of the ministry of the gospel as I'm supposed to be. And, and so it struck me as I was reading in Titus, uh, Titus chapter 2, uh, 11 to 15 is our text for today if you want to turn there. And it talks about very explicitly why Jesus died and what He accomplished in that. And it says, starting in verse 11, that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. We get that. Salvation comes first. And then after salvation, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself, so that there's the crucifixion, there's the cross, okay? 
our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us. Why? To redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. So it says there, Paul is speaking to his protege, Titus, and he says that Christ died on the cross, Christ gave Himself to bring to Himself a pure holy people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. And then the next verse is for me. Literally, he says, Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Excuse me, let no one disregard you. So that's sort of the, that's the verse for me today, and that's why I get to preach on this. Because Paul says, Rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. So nobody disregard me. Because this is what I'm talking about today. I like it when, when you get those verses. Good. It gives you courage. So here is what the cross has accomplished. Right? This is what Paul is saying to Titus. Jesus gave Himself. He laid down His life on the cross to redeem these people. And it's His actions that create these people. These aren't, this isn't Jesus saying, oh, I, I see a bunch of people out there who are zealous for good works in their own regard. And so those are the people I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick all the people who like to do good things and they're going to become my Christian people. No, no. He died to create these people. That there was nobody who was doing good works. There was nobody that was seeking after God. There was nobody that was holy. There was nobody that was pure. And so God died. Jesus died so that He could create these people for Him to possess. That He is the King. We are in His kingdom. And that these people that He has given His life for are characterized by something. That we are to be characterized by something. We're to be characterized by being zealous for good works. And so until Christ died, there wasn't really a whole people quite like the church. There wasn't people quite like us. There were some that God called special attention to. There was Enoch, and there was Moses, and there was David, who God said was a man after his own heart. Moses, who was a friend of God, and there were some others. And there was always a small remnant of Israel that worshipped God, even when the whole nation chased after other gods and were lawless. But the reality of God's chosen people, this is what we have to understand, for us today, after the cross, is that before Christ, is that God's chosen people of Israel, they really only had the law, and they could not be a people truly passionate for good works in the way that we are meant to be, in the way that God has died for us to be. Because Romans 8.3 says that God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The law couldn't do this. But God did it by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh. And so Romans 8 tells us that the law couldn't do it, but Jesus has done it for us. He's created a new kind of people that are able to be zealous. Zealous for God, zealous for good works. And so, the law didn't do it. The law created Israel. The law created the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes and the scribes and lawyers and people that Jesus you know, talked to and you know, they tried to manipulate the, the law to accomplish their own purposes. But the cross, the cross creates a people who are zealous for good works. And so today we're looking at what is zealous? What are good works? And what's the outcome of this? What does it mean to be zealous? And so, when you think of zeal, when you think of zealous, you know, I think, I think this is a good word for us because it's a word that doesn't need a lot of unpacking, so I don't have to spend a lot of time here because our English language, in English, the word zealous, we actually lifted straight from the Greek. So it doesn't require a lot of translation. The Greek is zealous. And so, uh, a zealot or a zealous or somebody who has zeal, you know already what I'm talking about. They're passionate. They are, um, you know, sold out. They would sacrifice for that thing. Uh, 
the zealots literally, and the reason Paul uses this word is that the zealots were actually a fourth creed of, or a fourth sort of sect of the Pharisees and the Essenes and the Sadducees. There were the zealots, and they were passionate for the defense of Israel. They were the people that were rebelling against Rome. They were the people that uh, caused uh, the battle that resulted in the destruction of the temple in A.D. 66. In fact, one of the disciples was a zealot, Simon the Zealot. Simon, a disciple, actually was part of this sect, and he came out of that sect to follow Jesus, but he was a zealot, and he was known as Simon the Zealot. And so when you think of zealousy, you think of zeal, you think of passion, you think of sacrifice, you think of uh, just living all out for that purpose, for that one single passionate goal. And so Paul has taken this word zealot and applied it to how Christians are supposed to approach good works. You know, the connotation would be clear to the people reading this letter. They knew exactly who the zealots were. They knew the passion and, and the unrest and the foment and the disturbance that their zealousy caused. And so when Paul uses this word, he's talking about people who are always stirring themselves up, that they're stirring others up, that they're seeking opportunity for their passion, that they're engaged, that they're setting their minds upon holy living and righteousness, disciplining ourselves to do the work of Christ, meeting together, plotting together, just like the zealots would. You know, they would meet and they would plot together. How do we accomplish our purpose? And Paul is saying, that's what Christians should be like. That Christ died, you should be so passionate, you should be meeting together, plotting together, spurring each other on, riling each other up to good works. That's zealous. That's passionate. That's determined. Christians are to be zealous for good works. And so if we think of that idea of being zealous, and we think if Christ died to create a people who are zealous for good works, if that's the reason Christ died on the cross, then what were we before? And if in the death of Christ we're to be buried and then raised into a new kind of life, then what was our life before that He's brought us out of? So we have to compare this to what came before. And if Satan is opposed to everything that the cross accomplished, and this is what Christ accomplished on the cross, then what is it that Satan is opposed to in making us zealous for good works? And I think we struggle against our flesh and we struggle against the enemy in two primary ways. And the two primary ways that we struggle in this is that we are zealous for the wrong things, firstly. That if you're not a Christian, or, if, or if, if you think to a time before you were a Christian, and you think of what your passions were, your passions weren't for the things of God, right? You were zealous for some stuff, but you weren't zealous for anything that had to do with God. You know, you were zealous for, you know, maybe as men, you were zealous for, uh, I don't know, golf, right? Nobody ever misses a tea time, but how many people miss prayer? Right? But give a guy a tea time, he'll be there. You know? Or maybe you were zealous for your car. You know, you could spend a lot of hours on your car, not so many hours, you know, visiting the sick or the people in prison, but lots of hours working on your car. You're passionate about your car. You know, or maybe it was hunting, or maybe it was guns. Really male centric here today. Yeah, I guess there's women who like cars and guns, but, you know. But, you know, we. We can be passionate about things that aren't necessarily the good works of the ministry of God, right? You know, or for some reason, a lot of guys, I don't know why, it's a sign of the curse on the world, are passionate for the maple leaves. And, you know, perhaps those are harmless things. You know, perhaps you think, oh, but that's so, you know, it's fine to have a hobby, it's fine to be, you know, the maple leaves, whatever, they're harmless. But, but they're not good things. 
But let's go a little bit further. What we also have a passion for, if we're honest, is we have a selfish passion. We have a passion for ourselves, ultimately. Isn't that what it's about? We love the car, and we love the golf, and we love the Leafs, and we love all these things because we love ourselves. And our passion and our zealousy was for satisfying ourselves. And that's the zeal that drove our own pleasure and our own ego. And it's not harmless because our striving, if you look in the world, you see that that passion and that zealousy and that striving for our selfish desires ultimately causes anger and it causes grief and it causes harm and it leads to deception and it leads to crime and it leads to abuse. And this zealousy for ourselves destroys us. And so without Christ or, or any time even as Christians that we fall back on our flesh, we find that our zeal or our passion or our desire is so easily misplaced and we can go a few weeks or a few months and we can look around and we can realize, you know, we've lost all our passion for the good work of the ministry of Christ. And all of our passion, even as Christians, has been focused on us. It's been focused on getting a, a raise at work or, or getting a promotion or, or, you know, really got hooked on the new Survivor Series. And, you know, my passion is for, you know, whatever. Or, you know, like, I just, our, our passions get distracted when we realize we put all this time into things that are not good works. That we're zealous, but we're zealous for things that serve us. And the greater portion of our spare time, and we look at it and we realize our spare time and our spare money and all this that God has blessed us with, the opportunity we have for doing good works is not going to God's work anymore. It's going to ourselves. The second way that I think that we fight our flesh in this area of zealousy is not only that we're zealous for the wrong things, but that we're not zealous at all. Is that we're just apathetic. Right? You know, and suddenly the struggle that we have with our flesh, we realize, and this is what I'm talking about coming out of hibernation maybe for the winter, I realize this about myself, this is convicting, is that we, in some areas of our life, we have this struggle. It's just not misplaced zeal, but there's just no zeal at all. Or there's lessened zeal. So that it gets to the point where you can't really call it zeal anymore. You can just kind of call it interest, <laughs> maybe, but not passion, right? And there's this apathy toward the things of God and the good works that are prepared for us. You know, we think about the cross and you just think, yeah, whatever. Jesus was a good guy. He died. I get it. You know, I'm not interested. You know, or Sunday morning worship. I'd rather sleep in. You know, or prayer, you know, prayer meeting. I'm too busy. You know, I've got to go to work. You know, or helping out with Shepherd's Table or in different ministries. You think, ah, oh, my favorite TV show's on that night. You know, use my spiritual gifts in ministry. I'm busy. You know, and you just realize after a while that it's just apathy. It's just, the passion is gone. There is no zeal. And it's so easy for apathy to just creep into our lives. But we have to remember, Christ died on the cross to gather to Himself a people who are zealous for good works. Passionate. But what are good works? And this is the part that is interesting when we think about good works. In Ephesians 8.10, God says that, that, Paul says, God says through Paul, that for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. And this is a little bit tricky. I'll take just a minute on this. Is that When we think about good works, it's easy to just think about, well, I'm a good person. Right? I'm a moral person. I'm not a bad person. You know, I do good things. I, you know, I donate you know, to charity and I get a tax receipt for it. But it's still good even though I'm getting something out of it. And you know, I help out Shepherd's Table or I teach Sunday school. So I'm a good person. And, and those things feel good, but you have to understand, and I don't have time to go into it here, but I'll touch on some of it. If you were just to go through the New Testament and look at all the instances of good works in the New Testament, you have to understand that when it's talking about good works, 
is talking about things that are done in faith and talking about things that are done in the will of God. Okay? It says in Hebrews 11.6, it says that without faith it's impossible to please God. And so it's easy to get into this feeling of, well, I'm a good person and I've done good things and God must be happy with the stuff that I'm doing. But you know what? If you're not doing it with the motive of faith in God and you're not doing it with the motive of bringing glory to God, it's not good. There is no one who seeks after God. There is no good thing apart from God. And so we have to make that clear that when it says that we are set apart and that we are to be zealous for good works, our good works are not just moral actions. Our good works are not even just religious actions. Good works must first be from faith. And in Colossians, Paul says that we are to seek after the will of God so that we can do what is good and right in His eyes. Or later on in Titus, in his letter, Paul gives a hint of what he is talking about. He says, And let your people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help the cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. And so if you were to do this study, and I looked at about 50 different verses just in the New Testament on good works, you would realize that the focus of the good works that God is calling us to are works of redemption. That He has called us to the ministry of reconciliation. That He has called us to redeem the lost. That He has called us to redeem broken marriages and broken relationships. He's called us to visit those that are in prison. He's called us to redeem the poor. To give a drink of water. To give food. Right? And you could just go through there piece by piece by piece and you would see a picture building around what good works are and good works are to redeem the most vulnerable. Good works are good works that reconcile the world to God. Good works are works that bear fruit unto the kingdom of God. Those are the good works. And it may indeed be teaching Sunday school and it may indeed be you know, giving money to charity and it, it may indeed be doing all those things but it's doing them with the motive of faith and with the understanding that it's building God's kingdom not for the self-gratification of I'm a good person. That's not good works. So we are to be zealous to see the world redeemed. We're to be zealous to see the world reconciled to God. We're to be zealous to see people saved from the situation that they're in. And then thirdly, Jesus explains the purpose of the good works. In Matthew 5:16. He says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The purpose of good works, and good works are good when they bring glory to God. That's what makes them good. They're not good when they bring glory to us. They're not necessarily good just because they accomplish a good purpose. They're good when they bring glory to God. And so the source of all those good works is Christ. Our works are good and our works redeem and our works reconcile and our works bear fruit only because they're performed through the Spirit of Christ. You know, that picture of He is the vine and we are the branches. And we bear fruit on our branches only because we're grafted into the vine. And so we are to be a people who are zealous, who are to be passionate, who are to be stirring each other up and plotting and desiring to do good works. And those good works that we do are to be rooted in Christ to redeem the world, to bring glory to God. But what do these good works accomplish in ourselves? What, what, what does it all do? And I'll just lay out three quick sort of applications as to where I see this work benefiting us or what the purpose of these good works are. First of all, it's a sign of our salvation and subsequent redemption of the situations that we actually do that good work in. Let me explain. Our zeal for good works is the evidence of grace in our lives. When we have a zeal to be holy, when we have a zeal to set aside sin, when we are passionate about doing good and we compare that our new passions to the 
passions that we used to have before the grace of God came than by being zealous and passionate for those good works. And by doing those good works, we're able to see that our passions have changed and that our efforts have changed and our efforts are now for the ministry of the gospel and for the kingdom of God. And so we can then be more fully assured that Christ is actually accomplishing that transformation in us, that we actually are belonging to the people that He has called to Himself. And so one of the purposes of these good works is a sign of our salvation, that our sanctification is taking place. And you can say that you possess the grace without any evidence, and that can be true. It's true that you can possess the grace without evidence. But we also have clocks. You know? And it's true that whether I look at the clock or not, the time is the same. But it's reassuring to me and reassuring to you that I can look at that clock and know that I have ten minutes left. So, so we have the assurance by looking at our works and our passion and our fruit that we know that we have that salvation. Just like I look at the clock and I know that I have nine minutes left. I'm keeping track. But not only that, as you're doing that work, I said this first thing is that it's a sign of our salvation, but it's subsequently the redemption of the situations we work in. Not only that, but as the grace works itself out in our lives through our good works, not only is it evidence of our redemption, but the good works themselves are actually redeeming the situation that we're in. You understand what I'm saying? So if I, out of this motive of Christ, rooted in Christ to bring glory to God, I'm working at shepherd's table... That gives in me a sense that I am in the process of sanctification. My passions have actually changed. Praise God. I am part of His kingdom, a child of God. But also the people's lives at shepherd's table are being redeemed by those good works that I'm doing. So now I'm participating in the redemption of others. So it's a sign of my own redemption and it manufactures or it produces redemption in other situations. Those broken relationships or injustice or poverty or grief and everything else where we work we see the redemption of good works taking place. And so the ripple effect of salvation and redemption goes out into the world. That's why God has called us to be human agents in His Gospel. And so the ultimate result of our works is a testimony to the truth that we have in Christ the Gospel and His cross. And the ultimate redeeming nature of our good works is to show other people the love of Christ and bear fruit through those good works. It's a win-win. Secondly, these good works, they also produce joy in ourselves, and subsequent to the joy in ourselves, they produce sanctification, a working towards Christ's likeness. And so the redemption and the gospel-centered work, when we're passionate and we're zealous for the things of the kingdom, and we're plugged into Jesus, and plugged into His Spirit, and understanding what His purpose for our lives is, and we're working in the power of His Holy Spirit, it's a source of joy. The work that we do is a source of joy to us, and because we naturally want more joy, we naturally then do more good works. And the result is this ongoing progressive sanctification of ourselves. In other words, as we do work and then like that work and do more work and then like that work and do other good works, then we have this appearance. We can look back and say, we're becoming Christ-like sanctification. It is producing in us a Christ-likeness that wasn't there. So can you be a Christian and not do any good work? Mm, technically, maybe. But is there any Christ-likeness? Is there any sanctification? Not really. God has created and called to Himself a people who are not just able to do good works, but are passionate about good works. And through those good works, work themselves towards their Christ-likeness. Or as Paul would say in another text, work out their salvation. Because it's God who is willing and working in us. And so, this good works that we do, the purpose of them is our own natural participation in our sanctification. And thirdly, the benefit to us and others, but thirdly also, the church gets health and subsequently growth. 
So as we as passionate, zealous Christians who are called through the cross to be holy and set apart and zealous for good works, there's a benefit to the whole body of Christ as a whole too. As we do these works together as a body of believers, all working together in the ministries of reconciliation and all working together in the ministry of the Gospel and all working together in the ministry of redemption and serving one another and expressing the fruit of the Spirit towards each other and expressing the fruit of the Spirit towards the community and towards the world. You know, something happens in all of that. You, you keep doing that for a little while and everybody's serving and doing good works and after a little while you look around and you realize the church gets healthier. The church gets healed. The church gets stronger and subsequently the church grows. As our work bears fruit and relationships are healed and redeemed, the church grows and more people are baptized into the body of Christ and the kingdom of God goes forward through these good works. See, God's no dummy. He was smart when He planned all this out. Right? It was like a really good plan. And so when Christ died on the cross, He was accomplishing all these things. And they weren't for no reason. They were for very good reason. And so that means that there's you know, more nursery workers and there's more Bible teachers and there's more mentors for our teens and there's more small group leaders and there's more ministries that can be staffed and resourced to reach the community and there's more mission troops and it all results in, it all results in, you remember what Jesus said in Matthew, that people can see our good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As we as Christians become zealous and passionate for good works, it results in more glory for God in Halliburton. That's the end, that's the end goal. God gets glorified. He gets more glory. And His kingdom goes forward even more. And Satan gets more frustrated. That's why God called us. So here's a thought. There are, through Christ, then, no average Christians. Everything we do has meaning because of the cross. Everything we do has meaning because we rub shoulders every day with people who are either going to heaven or going to hell. Everything we do has meaning because we are made in the image of God. And so how is anything then in life insignificant? How can we be apathetic about the possibility of work in God's kingdom given that everyone we rub shoulders with is either going to heaven to hell or hell and everyone who we meet is made in the image of God? Our view of life may be small, but there is nothing small about our life. We are God's plan for the salvation of our family. We are God's plan for the salvation of our co-workers and our neighbors. You are God's plan to, adjust, to address the issues of injustice and poverty and illness and depression and grief. I have this little saying on my Facebook. And it's a, a, an old saying and it, it's the common thread of, you know, people look at all this injustice and illness and poverty and they say, God, why don't you do something? And God says, I did. You. You're the reason that you're there. You know, you, we are, our lives are not to be apathetic and to be small. Our lives are to be passionate and zealous and desirous of good works. We are the salt and life of a world that is, we're the preserving agent against decay. And we are a beam of truth in lives blinded by lies. And so we are workers in good in every way and in every place. And we can go to work or we can go into a classroom or we can you know, buy groceries, or we can talk to a waiter in a restaurant, or even while we're cooking supper, or we can be chatting with a friend, we can be teaching someone a life skill. If we have the Spirit of God with us in those moments, we are doing good work for His kingdom. 
We're created in the image of God, and as Christians we have His Spirit, and He's prepared ahead of time good works for us to do. If Christ died for us, then how can our lives ever be small and boring and useless? In fact, if Christ died, if, if what Paul is writing to Titus here is true, if Christ died to cause, create for Himself a people who are holy and set apart, who are zealous for good works, if Christ died for that, then our lives had better not be small and boring and apathetic and useless. Or else what did Jesus die for? And so that was my challenge on my heart. We're to be zealous. We're to be passionate. We're to be overflowing in thankfulness that the blood of Christ was shed for us. And we have the means and the privilege of bringing Him glory through our works. And you can argue with me that your life is very average or that you have very little to offer or that there's nothing special about you and there's nothing really good that you can offer or good work that you can do, but I will never believe you because I know the price that Christ paid for you. I know the value of the blood that was shed for you. And so I can go to verse 15 and I can be bold to encourage and to rebuke and let no one discount me. I can be bold enough to say, how dare you pretend that you have little to offer? How dare any of us be apathetic about being Christians? How dare any of us not be zealous for good works? That we have been chosen by God. Or dare to deny Jesus a life passionately devoted to His kingdom. A life that He possesses because He bought it with His blood. God prepared good works for everyone to do. Christ died to make them possible and it matters that you do them. Let's pray. Father God, I would just ask that we would not let our zeal for the useless things of this world overshadow our passion to do good for Your kingdom. And Father, I would also ask that we would not be apathetic, that we would not just let our zeal die. If we are struggling to find passion, if we are struggling to know where our zeal should be placed, we have only to look to the cross, the centrality of the cross. Father, Your Son was sent and Your Son died to draw to Himself a people who are passionate and zealous for good works. And there are so many benefits for us in it. So make us that people, Lord. Cause us to be passionate. Cause us to be zealous. Cause us to be like the zealots like Simon was that we would get together and we would plot together and we would spur one another on and egg one another on and rile each other up, not to overthrow Rome, but be zealots for good works, to have a zeal and a passion to do good for your kingdom, that you may have the glory and your name be honored. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.